over the recent turn of events here in the last couple uh, couple days this week, I get the opportunity to be able to spend more time with people, and that's, I mean, I I traditionally was out on the street a great deal until I'd sort of become ill, and that really kind of made things a little rough, and then, uh, but I couldn't not get out after the events that we've seen transpire, and really just want to be able to sit and talk with people and see the opportunities that are that are besetting us, and there are really, really great opportunities as a result of this, and we find ourselves in this place where I speak to people who say that they're Christian and I can't say they are or they're not. That's not for me to say. But I do, I do see the same reaction by a Christian that I would from somebody who doesn't know God. And that really, really surprises me. And in prayer, I mean, and there's so much, of course, in the victory of Christ that we could just go and jump right into at the end of Matthew and the challenge to go out and make disciples. And then I just can't get past this. As a matter of fact, the uh, night before that horrible event took place in Westminster, uh, I was up in the middle of the night and just reviewing this particular psalm in my head over and over and over again. The Lord just kept reminding me of this. And throughout this week, it just seems like I'm not getting much sleep, but I am getting great time in the Word. And I just really... I had to ask the Lord because, you know, let's be honest, sometimes you're in that place where you, you recognize that what God is saying is uniquely for you for that moment. It's bespoke to you because you just need to hear it. And the same way we say there are certain songs that are just, you wrote for you. You just, God really wanted you to minister to you. Uh, and then there are other times where you just, you have to ask, all right, God, is this, is this for a flock or is this just for me? And the Lord said, you better share this. So I'm just seeking to be faithful. So let's go to the Lord and pray. And then we'll jump into our text. Lord, I just want to thank you so much for this beautiful and fantastic and encouraging text. We recognize today, God, that no matter where we are in our walk with you, on our discovery of you, Lord, our commitment with you, Lord, we recognize that you have a word for each of us. So, Lord, I pray that you would bring to salvation any who have yet to make that choice to say yes to you. That today here in this room, God, in this warm, comfortable, small room, God, that we would have the privilege today of watching your Holy Spirit work upon each of us, drawing us each closer and deeper or more intimate into a relationship with you. So, God, I pray that you would do that. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive. Lord, come upon me that you would do the work and that you would speak to each one of us individually right where we need to hear it and corporately as well as a family. So, Lord, we commit this to you. We pray you would redeem every second. Lord, over these next 45 minutes or so, Lord, I just pray that you would do something amazing in all of our lives right now. Lord, may we walk out of here with a brand new perspective, deep and solid and founded and secure, right where we belong and ready for your deployment. So we commit ourselves to you. And again, redeem every second, I pray. Captivate us in your word. May we have so much fun and may we get it. May we really get it. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Never just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible have the final say. That is so important for me that you would have that and challenge each thing that you hear. And of course, me, that includes everything. The media and guys, with anyone with a mic and so forth. Well, with that in, in mind, we, we start with verse 1 and it tells us this. To the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song for Alamot. Now, I want to warn you, I will actually be giving more... Well, I, I can't say I'll be giving more Hebrew than normal because we're in the New Testament and that's Greek. So I'll be absolutely giving you a great deal more 
Hebrew. But I want to challenge you. There are certain websites, by the way, like, for instance, Blue Letter Bible. The only, and it's not like I'm not, I get no kickback or anything. The only reason I say that is if I'm going to give you another language, well, then I want you to hold me accountable to that, too. So there's just one of those places. You can download uh, something like Strong's Concordance if you have a smartphone, um, or you can buy a, a book concordance if you have a dumb phone. But in all of that, you have different ways you can check this stuff, because I don't want you to think I'm just sort of rambling on about something like that. So here's where we start. So the chief musician. Now that tells us that there's a full band. A chief musician means that somebody's overseeing a group of musicians. That's why he's chief. Nowhere in scripture, by the way, do we find the term worship leader, by the way. Because truth be told, we are actually all supposed to be worshipers. And if anything, we should be worship examples. But I mean, the idea of worship leading means that I am responsible to make you worship. And that's a silly thought. Because truth be told, I could kind of whoop you up and try to make you jump up and down and high-five each other. But that isn't worship in and of itself. But I can, be make, I can make sure that I myself am doing what God told me he wanted me to do, which was to worship him in spirit and truth. But there are chief musicians. Chief musician is someone that makes sure that everyone's playing the same song in the same key, preferably at the same tempo. And so this is a guy that's making, that tells us that this is sort of a rather big production. This isn't a guy alone with a harp, but this is one of those situations where more than likely it's sort of a congregational thing. Psalm means song for what it's worth, and it's the sons of Korah. We don't develop that because, to be honest, there's all kinds of people that are really brilliant that have all kinds of ideas about the sons of Korah uh, and who Korah is all the way back from Numbers, all the way through to different people through the time of David. It seems to be irrelevant since God really never made that clear, but he does tell us this, a song for Alamot. Now, any of you know Alamot, what Alamot means? After all, you think, oh, sweet Alamot gets this song. Well, Alamot, for what it means, just means young virgins. Uh, in other words, it's, it's plural in that sense. And we tend to think more than likely this would mean that it was for the women singers would be the idea. So women would be singing the song. Sopranos would be the idea, I guess. Now, with that in mind, we get into the context of this. Now, or, or let me just say it this way. We don't have a contextual setting like we normally would for a lot of psalms. For instance, we'll have psalms where David was fleeing from Absalom or songs at the dedication of the temple, certain events that help flavor, if you will, the context or the color of the particular psalm. But in this case, we don't have anything like that. We just go right into it which tells me instead of allowing a context biblical to sort of flavor the psalm, we allow the psalm to flavor the context of our own situation because it becomes more extending in that sense, if you would. Because otherwise we'd say, well, if my situation is similar to that one, well, then maybe this song's for me. But in this case, well, we get the idea that it's very overarching and very long extending. And so we have this no identified situation for context, uh, but we have this situation now where we read this and it starts with the first word, Elohim, God. We want you to know right from the beginning what this song is about. And this song, by the way, I adore this song. One of the reasons is, is that the sons of, of Korah, when they start writing this song, probably never imagined how the song would end because the song starts out, if you will, this beautiful congregational song and ends up becoming a duet by the time we're done. I'll show you what I mean in a moment. And we read this. God is our refuge and our strength and our ever-present help in trouble. That's how we start this. Before we go any farther, he makes really clear who this God is that we serve. And he gives us these particular terms. The term refuge, our first term, by the way. And, let's, and for fun, why don't you kind of say these with me, if you will. The term is mahasa. Try mahasa. Mahasa, come on. No, it's Hebrew, so you're like, ah, mahasa. Thank you, that's good. And you can wipe the person's head in front of you. No, it's more than a, a location. It's a, if you will, it's a concept. 
In other words, there are certain people that you can find that, in essence, places that you go or you know, people that you would turn to when you really need comfort or rest or shelter, because it's what the word really means, is a place of trust, a place of safety, or a place of, of, of comfort. Now, it is important to recognize this, that every one of us seeks these. Most of our bad habits become, in essence, default refuges. That can be everything from alcohol to pornography to one relationship after another. It could just be, to be honest, just newness or adrenaline. I've learned that there are certain people that it just seems like when a hard day happens, they just sort of pack and they're gone and it's done. It's just give me something new. There are others, it's like, okay, it's been a rough day. Uh, and so you know what I need? I need to jump off a bridge with a band strapped around my ankle. By the way, it is kind of fun. But anyways, the, all of that to say, somewhere in all of that, when you have a hard day, when something, when bad news hits you, when something just comes and goes, bam, and just hits you in the face. Look at that. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, in all of that, one thing you notice in all of that is that something you're going to run to. You're going to go someplace, and you're going to want to get from, out from under it. You're going to want something to get in between you and it. Something to create some form of shelter. And for a moment, just think about what that is for you. I mean, obviously, as a musician, that's a fairly easy one. But that's certainly not the only thing. You know what's amazing is once something becomes sort of an addiction in your life, what you find is if you've had a really bad day, you run to it. If you've had a really good day, you run to it. Isn't it weird how that works? It's like it's your reward and your punishment at the same time. That tells you something. But what the psalmist wants you to know here is that God's the real one. He's the real shelter. He is the real thing you can rest in, that you can actually put in between the situation and you. But he's not just that. He's three things we read here. The second is strength. The word there is us. And us, by the way, in the simplest sense, means power to prevail. And I love this. He's not just, you know, our muscles. He's really the only reason why anything, we can overcome anything. Now put those two things together already. You have the thing you flee you know, two, when things are bigger than you. And you have that thing that gives you the power to prevail. And then last, he says, an ever-present hope. Now, for what it's worth, here's a, first, here's a fun one. Mata me'ud izra. So, mata me'ud izra. Mata, similar to like the bread we would break, in the, in the simplest sense, means, if you will, sort of, uh, it means, like always somewhere within reach is the idea. And, and, and there's a simple way to put this, because when you, this term is used uh, till to this day, by the way, in Israel, and it's used normally of children. You know, and when they kind of, you ask, how is your family? They could say, and what that means is they are ever present. I have to make sure that when I'm stepping, I'm not stepping on one of them. I make sure when I'm turning, I'm not knocking one of them over. And if you've ever had those kind of days where it's just all over you, when it's all on top of you, well, that can be really bad in most cases. For instance, normally that's what happens with problems. You have some situation, let's face it, you could have five people that say really nice things to you, but somebody that you've never met before says something really wonky on a bus to you, and you go to sleep with that tonight, and, it gets a, and if, they, if, it, if they're intense in it, it seems to be all over you like flies. And it's like everywhere you turn, it's, you're reminded of it. Everywhere you turn, you see that face or whatever. You get the idea, that's ever-present. Well, here's the great part about it. It's not ever-present trouble. It's ever-present Help, Isra, Itzir, the idea of constant aid, if you will, in this. And I love this, because these are the three things that we start the psalm with. 
Now, I want to remind you, in the face of the terror attacks uh, in Westminster, where we're looking for refuge, because is there any part of you that thinks, how do you stop this? There are people who aren't afraid to die, that have no problem killing themselves and everyone else around them. How do you stop that? You ever wonder what it's like for the enemy to have his board meeting right now because of people that really are willing to take up their cross and follow Jesus? I think they have the same board meeting. How do we stop them? They're not afraid to die. They've given their life over to Jesus. How do you stop that? And I get the idea that I'm not like that horrible act inspires me, but it challenges me in my own faith. Not to go and kill people, of course not, but to hand my life over to Christ and watch lives get saved. And I realize these are the three, if you will, think about it, these are the three levels of battle you face. Because it tells us, by the way, he's our refuge, our strength, our ever-present help in trouble. And there's what Sarah. Sarah means distress, affliction, adversity, anguish, and when things are narrow, when they are tight. In other words, anytime you're challenged. So get this. Figure this out. Go backwards. So here we are. We have three different kinds of challenge. We have the kind of challenge where things are a little rough. And man, if, if I could just get a little help, I think we could get over this. Well, that's a sort of a light thing, if you will. And then we go from that to the next level. And the next level now is where it's like, oh, my goodness, I am not strong enough to overcome this. But they need that, too. And then we get to the last one where it's like, you know what? This thing is going to take me down. I need to run from it. And he's that, too. He's that place I can run to. He's that strength to overcome. And he's my help. But I love the fact that he's ever-present. And what that means is I never have to look for him. There's the problem with anything else. No matter what it is, no matter what you run to, it's somewhere that you can either get to or you can't get to, but you can't get to it quick enough on certain times. And there are things that are like, well, that's a present help. I think I can get to that. That's fairly close. But not an ever-present help like this. No matter what my situation is, at the moment it comes down on me, I can, he's there. Now, the next thing, we, well, sort of, we move through this. Well, then it's a conclusion to these simple facts. Now, it's important to note, by the way, this book will be, this particular little psalm here will break up into two basic situations, or, or two basic points, from 1 to 7, and they'll end with the same verse, by the way. 1 to 7 will give us our situation, and then 8 from 11 will give us our exhortation. In other words, we'll get this situation, like, here, let me lay this thing out for you now so that we can develop that, because we, in concept, can agree with these things. We go, okay, I'm cool with that. I get the idea. Okay, things are a little rough. All right, God's going to help us. Yeah, I can find him anytime I need. Things are worse than that. He's my strength to overcome. I get that. Okay, well, let's go. Okay, now things are really bad, and I just want out. I want to get, well, he's the place I can go and find safety and shelter and comfort at that moment, peace, when everything else is falling apart. Well, he doesn't let us, the psalmist don't let us get away with that. We just go, okay, conceptually, because he knows, God knows, that you can agree with it idealistically, but not even apply it to your life. And that becomes the problem. And so we know these things intrinsically. We know these are truths. The question is, what happens the next time you're in a place where you need help? Are you going to call out to him? What happens the next time you are too weak to win this? Do you call out to him? What happens when, man, you are so overwhelmed, oh, you want us out? Do you call out to him? Or do we just have the information to tell somebody else? So notice what he does. He has to develop that for us now, or they, because it's the sons of Korah. And he tells us this, therefore, we will not fear. 
if I really embrace these three things, then it doesn't matter how big the situation is, how small the situation, how constant the situation is, how chronic the situation is, how repeated the situation is, how threatening the situation is. It's already been listed in regards to God's arrival in that situation. And as a result of that, actually, I don't have to fear anymore. And can I say it this way? Because God is, I won't have to. And because he always is, I'll never have to. I'll never have to be afraid. No matter what the circumstances. Well, what about, what about Brexit? Did you notice, if you're anything like the majority of the people in the world, most of the things you fear have never happened, may never happen, and are yet to happen at best. Or worst, I guess we'd say that way. And we kill ourselves with what ifs. Like the only what ifs we can ever give are negative ones. Have you ever said what if and then said something good? What if somebody showed up today, gave me a big hug, total stranger, and then said, by the way, we just want to buy you a house. Where you're like, well, that's really weird. Huh. But you could say, well, what if a total stranger comes over and blows himself up right next to me? Well, but that's happened. Well, so is the other, by the way. The only difference is one seems closer to home. But the crazy part about it is when we actually consider how much we actually give ourselves ulcers and make ourselves old and lose hair over things that never come to pass. I totally get that if you really think you're trying to control your universe. Because if I'm going to be honest with you, if you are controlling the universe, I want out. (laughs) And if I'm going to try to control the universe, you should get out too, by the way. So he develops that. He doesn't just say we won't fear conceptually. Now, even if... I'm not going to be afraid even if the earth is removed, though the mountains are carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters roar and are troubled, and though the mountains shake with its swelling. And then there's the word salah. Salah is a musical break, and usually the idea of it is think about that. So in other words, usually when I get to that in my own private reading, usually what I do is I stop and I read through it one more time because the idea of it is don't just agree, think this through with me now. Behold this for a second. So it's like, okay, look at These are the things you better know. God's our refuge. He's the place I can run and be safe. God is my strength. He's the only ability I have to overcome. And he's my ever-present help, regardless of the trouble. Regardless of the trouble. Regardless of the trouble, whether it's someone I know or don't know, whether it's a faceless stranger, or whether it's some maniac that I actually know and love, regardless of the situation, I can know this. I'm not going to live in fear. I have no reason to live in fear. And we're going to see why here in a couple of moments, but he tells us, even though, even if. Even though. And the though here tells us, by the way, that it's not like a possibility. These things are actually, even though this is happening even right now, and look at the first one. The earth be removed. Removed. Moor, by the way. Moor, by the way. Change, exchange. And I get the idea. The world is moving on us. Well, wait a minute. How is that? Is it getting warmer? Is it getting colder? I still haven't figured that one out, by the way. Uh, you know, when I was in high school, it wasn't that long ago, we were heading into another ice age. It was actually after the original ice age thing. So I kind of, I haven't seen one since then, but now the world's getting hotter. Whatever the case is, we do know this, the world's falling apart. It's funny, 50 years ago, Christians said the end of the world was near, and the scientists said they were bonkers. Now the scientists are saying that the end of the world is near, and the Christians are calling them bonkers. We should be the ones saying, it's about time you caught up with us. Well, with that in mind, the earth is being, well, wait a minute, my world is totally changing and being removed? Well, that, to be honest, if I can dare say it, that sounds like Brexit. I was like, well, wait a minute, what happens? 
Our whole world's being removed. We're being removed out of the EU. Oh, what's going to happen? Can I just warn you? God's bigger than the EU. And he loves you. And his plan for you is to give you a future and a hope. It isn't like, yeah, you know what? I can't wait to get you out of, uh, out of the EU because, you know, you're safe with the European Union as far as God's concerned. I'm not really sure I get that part. Now, look, at I'm not taking a side on either of this. The bottom line is, if it's happening, my side is God's, and this is my side. Let's not fear. Even if, or in this case, even though the earth is being removed around us. But not only that, even though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, or the waters roar or are troubled. And I love this word for trouble. The word hama, try the word hama. Hama, by the way, means to growl or to roar or be disquieted. The word that's there for roar. And then the word for troubled is the word hamar. Hamar, by the way, means to boil or to foam. Now, it's one thing, by the way, if you're actually in a sea and the sea sort of starts to get a little wavy. You maybe see a few white caps. That's one thing. I mean, I've surfed in water where it gets a little bit above your head and you're like, okay, this can really cause some damage. But when it actually gets to this point, where it roars and it growls at you, you went out. I mean, this is a point where things get really ugly and disquieted. And they, it boils and foams, you know. You're like, you're kind of in this, it seems like a jacuzzi, it's a hot tub, but then you're a frog and you know what happens as it gets warmer. You're actually becoming Hugo's dinner. Well, with that, it tells us, and the mountains shake with their swelling. And here's one of my favorite words in this, but well, what mountains shake and swell? Volcanoes do. And when volcanoes shake and swell, and some of you are familiar with that, we've been on top of Etna while it was erupting, by the way. Here's the nice part about Etna, Mount Etna in Sicily, is that it, it erupts just a little bit at a time. It's constantly erupting, because if it actually waited, well, then it explodes, and that's really bad for everybody. Well, the whole point of it is, put yourself in this situation. 2,000 years ago, you're not on the Internet. You're not checking Google or the weather page. On a day like this, there's no Facebook. Facebook in those days was, was two things. It was a person's face, and it was a book. That was it. Now, 2,000 years ago, you looked and you saw mountains. They were your reference. Think about it. They were your place where you kind of knew where everything was. When you got oriented, you got oriented by the sea, or you got oriented by the hills. And in Israel, there's basically a land strip that's sort of the coastal line. Then there's a line of hills. And then there's a valley. That's the Jordan Valley. And then there's another set of hills. So no matter where you were, there was a set of hills. So you know, that's east. When we lived in Colorado for a small period of time, I remember you always saw the Rocky Mountains. You kind of knew that's, okay, that's sort of oriented to you. So what happens when those mountains, all of a sudden you wake up and they're gone? That one thing for which you positioned your whole life to. That one thing where now everything seemed nice and calm. And you're like, all right, I'm cool. I got my life together. I'm solid. I know what's going on. And then all of a sudden, that thing's just gone. And you're like, what do I tether my life to now? This is even, not even if, but even though that happens, I'm still not going to be afraid. And you see, some of my, my heroes, by the way, often are little old ladies. I know that may sound weird. But I watch somebody that's been married for 50 years and then their husband passes away and you watch them become this amazing woman of prayer and they could walk you through this probably better than I could. But it's like, you know what? Often those great husbands, because some of them I've known personally and they were great men, were just big mountains. They were things that you sort of said, well, you know, so much of my life is kind of, in one way or another, 
built around this big old rock thing right here. And then it's just gone. And then you're like, oh my goodness, now what do I do? And the natural thing to do at that moment is to try to find another mountain. Just give me another thing that I could hitch my post to. Another thing that I could build my life around. And God says, well, if you're really going to consider that, would you really consider me? Because I'm the one thing that won't shake. Well, when the waters roar and they boil and foam, and when the mountains swell, the word for swell, by the way, gava, gava, by the way, means to be a proud or to be haughty. And the idea of it is like this volcano's taunting you. Ha, 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 ha. And he moves us from that location to another location. Shaking mountains that are winding up in the sea, ground that is quaking, waters that are roaring, so threatening. Let's face it, if you read the news, chances are that's what it looks like. Oh, that's a, that's a roaring, taunting volcano there. Oh, that's a, another thing falling into the sea. It's another thing just shaking, being removed. On the other side of it, he says there's a river. Now, I look at this and I see the mountains that are swelling and I think, man, things are just going to explode on me. But he says, there's a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. The holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. And he tells us why. Good time for that. Did you hear what God did? Did you hear that right there? God brought in a little backup because we don't have a Hammond organ for those really cool moments. So God brings in a soprano feathered one. Well, with that, on one side, this is where I can look. I can look on one side or the other. I can look and I can see everything shaking and moving. But I tell you that in the book of Hebrews, God makes something really clear and I'm really thankful for this. In Hebrews 12, 27, God tells us about that there are the removal of the things which are shakable because the things that are shakable are the things that are made. But the things which are unshakable will remain. And what you find is that when you start holding on to things that are really shoddily made, and that really aren't attached to eternity? Well, what you're going to find is you're going to be standing there with a handful of ashes at best. And you know what? Most of us know that well. We know what it's like to grab and grab when things are shaking, only to find that every time we do, we just find ourselves a little bit more beat up for it. But there is a river whose streams make glad. Samach, to rejoice, to be joyful, to be merry. And I love this because it's not just not fearing. There's joy and there's rejoicing, but it's in a location. The tabernacle of the Most High, and he tells us why, because God is in the midst of her. You know what happens when God's in the midst of her? She shall not be moved. So wait a minute. This place where God has set himself in the midst, this tabernacle, and I can't help but think the tabernacle, it's the same word that would be used in John 1.14. When the Old Testament's translated into Greek, it's called the Septuagint, and you compare the text in John 1.14, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Speaking of Jesus, God's own logic and reason, God himself in the flesh, and there in the flesh, the word becomes flesh, and then the word is tabernacled among us. The tabernacle is Jesus. 
that place where God himself dwells and where God tabernacle says, if that's the place where if you find yourself in that place, man, you're not going to be moved. But what happens if you don't have the immovable to rest in? Then you're going to get tossed like everybody else. I had this cool little office back in America. And I remember distinctly a specific moment because I had this moment and I, you know, I can, I kind of decorated like Raiders of the Lost Ark because I have all these cool, really old artifacts, some of them three, 4,000 years old, and I'm just you know, putting them up all over, and it's really cool. And I, and I kind of look around and breathe the dust, and like, yes, you know, and I hear, dun, 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 and I'm going to open up the Word, and it's going to be like my treasure hunt. And, and I'm there, and I'm like, oh, Lord, you're so good. And all of a sudden, I, this starts happening. Now, you're probably aware, in California, that sounds a bad sound. Because at that moment, what that means is the entire earth around you is going to do a little bit of a dance, and you need to actually find, to make sure you're not going to have, well, I look up, and there's a 30-pound, well, in essence, about a 10, 15-kilo uh, vase that's sitting, right, two of them sitting right above me right here, but one's right above my head, and it just goes like this. I actually couldn't believe how quickly I could scale my desk. I, from a sitting position, I was over the other side of it, and the whole thing just cracked. And we watched this seven-point-something earthquake, and it just shook everything like, like a violent, just like a violent, angry drunk. Just, and I'm watching my whole room do this dance. We would learn about people that were 15, 25 miles away that were killed from this particular event. And I think, man, at that moment, if you could just have one thing that wasn't shaking, how happily you would hold on to that. And I'm brought to that every time I look at this. He's like, but in the midst of all of that, there's this beautiful river where life and refreshment and joy. And you can choose, by the way. You can choose to sit at this river or you can choose to spend all your time freaking out. And can I just say, we're not just not freaking out or fearful, but we're solid now, stable, and joyful. Joyful. People freak out, do crazy things, and we're like, but I still have the joy of the Lord. You know why? Because I'm going I'm to build a river house. I'm gonna stay, I want to stay right there at the river, and I'm going to stay at that river because you stay evergreen there. And you're like a tree planted there, and I'm just going to be like, God, I'm safe here. I'm safe here. So he says, listen, God's in the midst of her, and because God's in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. And I love this word. The, the word for midst, by the way, is the word is the idea of it literally in its inner parts. But the word for moved is the word mot. Try that. Mot. Kind of like, you know, if you were like very posh, and you were speaking of that little river around your castle, it would be the moat. Well, that's the idea. It's the moat. Well, moat, for what, it, what it's worth, means to totter or to shake or to slip or to be carried away, or to dislodge, or to fail, or to be overthrown. I love that. He goes, listen, because God is not just around and hanging up, but he's in the midst of her, because he's in the midst of her. She'll never fall. She'll never totter. She'll never slip. She'll never get carried away. She'll never get dislodged. It's interesting, because at first, we were to be in the midst of it, and now he's in the midst of us. I do love this. And let me ask you, when things hit hard, do you have any relationship with this God? 
where is he? Some kind of distant something judge that somehow you're just hoping you can keep happy enough so you don't go to hell at the end of this. Ever present help tells me God really wants to be around. Let's face it. He could have just been like, here's, just shine this cool little like, you know, signia, like, you know, like the bat sign, but just make it like a cross. And as long as I see it, you know, here's like a flashlight, here's a torch and just turn it on. And, you know, okay, I'm going to come the moment or ring the bell or, or here's my number, you know, 777. But, but he's like, I'm constantly, why even God's constantly around us? Because he constantly wants to be with us. And then he compares. Remember those mountains shaking and swelling and taunting and the ground shaking and the waters foaming? He says the nations raged. The word rage, by the way, that's that same word. That's the word chamah. The idea of, of remember that growling and, 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 and sort of disquieting the idea of that? Roaring. Same word. And he says in the kingdoms, well, they were moved. Remember when it says God's in the midst of her and she will never be moved? That's what he says here about the kingdoms. He says when God's in the midst of her, she will never be, she'll never totter. But the kingdoms, oh, they're falling all over the place, aren't they? They're going to totter. And let's face it, we're not just talking about kingdoms, you know, in sort of, but, you know, in regards to the things that we would say, well, there's a king and there must be a kingdom. But what about just the things in your own life, those places? Sometimes it's just a batch of friends that you really trusted in and they, they seem so cool and you just, man, you remember the first time you got to hang out with them and you went, wow, this is, this is really cool. I've really taken a step up in life. And then you realize that, well, that whole thing just tottered and you just couldn't thrive spiritually around them and you're like, wow, that is weird. And then you watch them fall one by one. Man, look at I've been I've been in the ministry now. I, I mean, it's crazy to think for nearly thirty years. I mean, as with a title, nonetheless. And uh, I watched guys that I thought were amazing teachers, super gifted, great men, fall all around me. And you look at that, and there's a part of you that freaks out a little bit at first because you think, "Wow, I actually thought this guy's walk with Christ was more solid than my own." And look at this. God says, but you know what? Anything else can fall. Anything else can totter. But the only thing that you guarantee will not is Him. And when you're in Him, then you can't fall either. If you're familiar at all with 1 Samuel, there was a point where Israel was in battle with the Philistines. And as Israel was in the battle with the Philistines, they were losing. And they said, you know what the problem is? We don't have the ark. They don't say we don't have God with us at the moment. It's like, we don't have the ark. We don't have our magic, you know, rub our genie thing. And so we're going to bring out this ark. Well, they bring out the ark and the ark gets taken from them. God's like, look at, I am not a box. I'm a person. And you need a relationship with me. When it gets taken, they go and they put it in the, in the, the temple of their God. Their God's name is Dagon. Dagon, by the way, would look like the little mermaid's dad. I mean, he was half fish, half man. I don't know why you would think, well, that, that's going to be the most mighty thing I can think of, fish guy. Well, with all of that, so what happens is they come the next day and they find that this whole thing is toppled over. They're, they're, I mean, there's the ark and then there's their idol that's now on its face towards the ark. So what do they do at that moment? Now, what would you do? You walk in and you're like, hmm, my God's on his face towards their box. Well, I'll tell you what they did, what most of us do. They pick the thing back up tried to put it back in its place and tried to carry on like it never happened. Let me say that again. They picked the thing back up, put it in its place, and tried to carry on like nothing ever happened. 
Isn't that what's happened the last few days? We've just picked ourselves up, carried our stiff upper lip, put ourselves back in our place, and tried to carry on like nothing happened. But something did happen, and we don't even want to talk about it. But I'm here to tell you, there's a refuge. And there's power to overcome. And there's an ever-present help. And I'm not going to live in fear. I mean, we can post signs. Let's face it, there are big heroes on the Internet until you see them in person. You know, like, oh, we're not afraid. We're not going to be afraid. Oh, well, that's interesting. Well, no one's afraid when they're anonymous. But what would it be like to not live in fear? So listen, the nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. God spoke for a moment, literally thundered and noised, and the earth dissolved. God's voice melts the world around me and calls my, calms my troubled heart. I don't need to find some placid news, just get a little uplifting thing or look at a puppy video for a couple minutes or the vine that follows. I just need more of God's voice. It just seems like everything else melts away. You know what he says then? The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Did you notice the constant thread here of God reminding us he's with us? And this will be the verse that's repeated twice here in verse 7 and then in verse 11. But interesting, remember where it says it started with God is our refuge? This is a different word. The word refuge there was idealistically, and this word here is the literal place, if you will. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is Adam. Mizgav. Mizgav is the idea of a defense or a high tower. This is now the place I can stand behind while the army takes down the enemy. Because he is the Lord of hosts. Saval. Saval is the word for army or warfare. And now everything changes. Now what moves to our second portion, and we come now to the near the end of this, when we move from the situation to an exhortation. So let me read those first seven verses, and then I'll get to our last couple points. This is what it started with. God is our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth is removed, or beef removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, and though the waters roar and are troubled or be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Think about that. There's a river. And that river has streams that make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. Oh, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. Do you learn God's never early, but he's never late. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Think about that. And if you agree with that, then here's the exhortation. It's two couplets. One here in verse 8 and then one in verse 10. 8 Come and behold. The call to come then is the call to draw near from the caller. Not go and find, but call, come. Come be with me. Come know me better, man. And behold, let all of your faculties embrace what God wants to show you. Come behold the works. Things that God does of the Lord. Because he makes desolations in the earth. Lays waste. 
those very things that make you fearful. Shema is the word, by the way. And then I love this. He says, he makes wars cease. Do you see that in verse 9? Do you see that? Wars, for what's worth. Michama. Michama, by the way, fights battles. Any challenge makes them all cease. But interesting, the word makes, in essence, the way it's kind of conjugated, looks like it's more like he turns or he, he, he like makes, turns this into that. What's interesting is the word cease is actually the word Shabbat, the word Sabbath. In other words, he turns your conflicts, your challenges, your battles into rest. Hey, you know what? Drugs, sex, relationships... They can't turn them into rest. What they do in the simplest sense of it all is help you forget for a moment, perhaps. They distract you. There's no rest in that. Because then you spend all your time trying to run from the thing you're trying to avoid. But my God, he turns every one of those things to the Sabbath, to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, literally crushes in pieces. Shavar, he cuts and it's cut off in pieces or to cut off completely. Chatzat, the spear in two, and then he burns set off the chariots in fire. So from crushing in pieces to cutting off to burning, there's nothing left. The weapons of the enemy are down before you. Remember the first exhortation was come and behold. But something radical takes place in verse 10. Notice it says, be still and know. Could you tell me what the rest of the verse says? Be still and know. Who's talking here? Who's saying that? God is. Did you notice that? The psalmist up to this point says, hey everybody, you need to know this. God is our refuge. God is our strength. God is our ever-present help in that time of trouble. You need to know He is this and He is that. So why are we freaking out? Because after all, okay, even though, yeah, I'm not, I'm not ignoring the fact that things are weird. I'm not ignoring the fact that the mountains you thought were immovable are being cast into the sea. I'm not ignoring the fact that things are taunting and they seem immovable and they seem invincible and unstoppable. I'm not, I'm not ignoring that. But I want you to recognize those very things, same things, God's going to melt with his voice. And if that's really the case, there's also another place you can stop. You can stop staring at that for a moment. You can start sitting at the stream. Because at the stream, at the river, there's a place of peace and a place where you're actually not going to be shaken. And that place where it's not going to be shaken, man, you need to know God is in the midst of her. And because God's in the midst of her, she is not going to be moved. She will not totter. The kingdoms will totter. But she's not going to totter. And then God jumps in and starts to make this a duet. I just love this. And listen, if you don't think your God sings, well, you need to read the Bible. Because one of my favorite verses is Zephaniah 3.17. If you ever get an email from me, chances are it's at the bottom. It says, the Lord, our God, in our midst, the mighty one who will save, he will take delight in you. He will actually rejoice over you with singing. Quiet you with his love. Do you know that, God? the one who can quiet you with his love, the one who rejoices over you with singing. If you could hear God sing to you, what would he sing? I would suggest he sings this. Be still. Now, I'll have to be honest. 
when I initially remember reading this as a young Christian, I read this and I have a, my first thought is stop doing, right? Be still. Because that's what parents say to their children. Be still in whatever manner you say it. I mean, it's amazing. You couldn't wait for them to talk. You couldn't wait for them to walk. And then you tell them to sit down and shut up for the rest of their life. Anyways, but the word be still is so much more than just stop doing stuff. The word is rafa. Try that word. Rafa. Listen to what it means. Sink down. Be feeble. Be weak. Drop. Relax. Oh, this is so much more than stop doing stuff. Will you just stop? Will you stop doing stuff? It's God saying to you, listen, listen. It's okay to be weak. Because I'm your strength. It's okay to collapse in me. Because I'm your refuge. It's okay to just drop and be feeble. Because I'm your ever-present help. In any time of trouble. At any time. So listen. Come, would you please, behold what I do I'll take all of that battles that you're facing and I'll put you to rest. But you'll never rest until you finally collapse into me. Please collapse into me. But don't just be still. Know that I'm God. The word know there, you're probably aware there's intellectual words to know, but this word yada is the word, which by the way we still use to this day. Anelo yada means I don't, I don't know. But it means I don't know experientially. It's like I don't know because I don't, I don't have. And he's like, look it. If you would just collapse into me, you would know me intimately that I'm actually God here. And this stuff isn't. Brexit's not God. Terrorists are not God. And I guarantee you, they're not pleasing God by killing people. My God says, I know for you're putting up a brave face and I know you're trying to tell people you're strong and I know you feel like that's what you really have to do because you're afraid if you let go for a second, you will fall apart to pieces and you will shatter. But he says, listen, yeah, maybe you shouldn't be running around doing that to anything else. Actually, you shouldn't, but God's like, I'm your refuge and I'm your strength and I'm your help at any moment, anywhere just come and collapse and know that I'm God. And if you know that I love you and you know that I'm God, God's speaking, then how could you fear? So to close this up and pray, I ask you first of all, do you know this God? This one who sent Jesus to die on the cross so that all of your guilt could be paid for? Are you still trying to pay for something God did? And rose again to offer you a brand new life. And he's like, look at, I'm not asking you to clean yourself up and then hand yourself to me. I'm not recruiting here. I'm actually rescuing. With that, all I'm asking is, will you collapse into me and let me give you a brand new life? Let me do it. Because notice how the psalmist ends with the same verse he gave us in verse 7. The differences in between verse 7 and verse 11, God saying. He says, the Lord of hosts is with us. God of Jacob is our refuge. Think about that. So behold, 
Now is our time for ministry. Now is our time to act. Now is our time where others are seeking something unshaking and they're trying to find those things that are attached to the unshaking and we are supposed to be that. And for a world out there where everything is falling apart and shaking and people don't know what to do and they can't find their feet, we are the thing that brings Jesus to them. And if we want to freak out with them, we're going to look no different. Now look, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I totally understand. But if you do, I'm here to challenge you. Stop staring at the shaking and start holding onto that which doesn't. Stop running around like crazy at the place where you're trying to be strong and instead collapse and rest in Him at the river. Because when you do, you'll find rest. And all the strength you need to overcome. So look, at as we go to prayer... Is there anyone right now, you know, around you that is freaking out over these things? I mean, they're keeping a stiff upper lip. They're doing the classic thing. We're keeping calm and we're carrying on. But you know that what they really need to see is someone that says, you know what? God is in my midst. I shall not be moved. Because you know what? These things are going to come and go. He promised me that. He doesn't say if, but he says even though. Things that you just set your watch to, to the things that are your landmarks that you'd say that would never change. And you're like, oh, well, that's gone. But the one thing that never changes is the only thing I need. And he's already perfect. So praise God he doesn't change. If you're already perfect, any change would be bad. My Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he invites you to come and know him. As we go to prayer, let me ask you, have you accepted the gift of Jesus? The Bible says if you're willing to confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, not just Savior, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. God will rescue you right now. Or, and look, I'm not saying become a blobbering mess. What I'm saying is hand yourself to the one who can give you rest. Very different thing. But today, if you're willing to trust that Jesus really did pay it all at the cross, man, today you could be made brand new right now. But if you have said yes to Jesus, let me ask you, what are you staring at? Because it's hard to actually try to be around the swelling of the mountains and at the stillness of the river at the same time. Will you pray with me? God, I know we have our things that we think are our strengths. Intellects and talents, in some case, physical strength. Experiences, training. And every one of those things runs out. We know that. We don't like to think of it. We don't like to confront it. But if truth be told, we know it. We know there are just certain situations that we're just not smart enough, clever enough, sweet enough, kind enough, cute enough, gifted enough to just simply overcome without effort, or to be honest, even with all of our effort, we still will not overcome. But you've not asked this to. This didn't start by saying that we are mostly good, or we're mostly strong, or we're mostly great, or we're mostly overcomers, but rather, it's about you. You, God, are our strength. You are our refuge, our strength, and our ever-present help in trouble. So I pray first for every Christian in here who is living in fear. Overcome them with these truths. Even though Brexit 
Even though terrorism. Even though the value of the pound or the dollar. Even though missiles are being fired from other countries that are hostile. Even though there are those who have declared war. Even though there are people we love that have turned wonky. Even though our boss may be crazy. Even though our neighbors may be weird. Even though that person keeps giving us strange looks. Even though we don't know where the next paycheck will come from. Even though there are so many what ifs. And each one of them an opportunity for us to embrace you in faith. Or a billy club we could keep smacking ourselves over with. And I pray today, right now, that you make this a reality for us. You're in the midst of us. And we will not be shaken. Be our peace, our rest. And give us the wisdom, give us the strength to be weak into you. And even right now, overcome any and every fear. Especially those attached to the what if. What if my child never changes? What if my relationship never gets better? What if this whole thing falls in the toilet? What if I never get married? What if I never have children? What if those things that I thought were my greatest dreams never come to pass? What if? Lord, put those to rest right now and be our peace. And while you're dealing with that right now with the believer, if there be anyone at the sound of this voice who has never accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, and you know it, or maybe you're not sure, you can walk out of here sure. I'm going to pray a prayer. And at the end, if you agree, I ask you to give a confident, resounding amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let those words be my words. So be it in my life. And here's the prayer. God in heaven, I'm a sinner. And I stand before you guilty in that sin. But I believe you so loved me. As your scripture says, you sent your only begotten son, Jesus, to die on the cross on my behalf, who died to pay for all of my guilt and shame. Just like Scripture promised, he literally died, was literally buried, and on the third day rose again. And he offers a payment now for that guilt. And I'd be a fool to say no. I say yes. If you really want all of my debts cleared and you want someone else to pay for it, specifically that, your son, I say yes. And just as he rose again, I offer myself, knowing that he demands to be Lord, and I say, have me now. I hand you my life. Make it beautiful, I pray. And be the very things you showed me in this text in my life. So here I am. I hand you me. In Jesus' name. If you agree with that prayer, I ask you to say amen. Lord, you've heard us. You hear us here. So Lord, now I pray. Ignite our hearts. Encourage them and prepare us, Lord. to genuinely be the immovable peace, an example of what happens when you dwell in us to a world out there that for the first time in many cases is actually scrambling for that. 
We commit this to you now. Prepare us for those now. In Jesus' name. Amen.